It's, no, it is a real privilege to be with you guys. Um, and uh, although we live in Australia and have lived there for 21 years, uh, we are South Africans. So I do have to say it was a sweet moment to be with Pete, especially uh, last night, and to see the win. It was nail-biting, I have to say. Uh, the last time Pete was in Sydney, I was forced to watch um, the All Blacks, you know, thrash the Wallabies with, with him, and so I felt like this was, you know, due time, really, to, uh, to get, get that back. In fact, I think we'd, we'd done the camp, and we'd recorded it, and so I knew what the result was, but we still watched it. It was just painful, really. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we've been in, in Sydney 21 years now, Lynn and I. We've got three kids um, Anna's 22, and Matthew's who's 19, Rachel 15. Uh, so they've, they've grown up in Australia, and uh, although we, we don't sound uh, Australian, we, we think we are Australian. I keep forgetting that actually still sounds South African. It's, it's hard to get away from, from the accent. But um, we love this part, part of the world, and we've loved just um, seeing what God is, is doing here and being part of that. And uh, just growing uh, together and as, as churches um, standing together has been great over the years. Um, I think the first time we kind of met was 2002 or three, when both churches were just really kicking off and uh, it's wonderful to see uh, where, where God has taken us. So really exciting and a real, real privilege to be here. It was also great to have... Um, Julian and Sam with us um, out in, uh, in Southeast Asia uh, just a few weeks ago. It was, was great to have them with us. We had a team of, of nine, seven from Grace City in Sydney and uh, these two guys. And we had a lot of fun out there. It was, was really brilliant. Although I do have to say there's, there's a whole lot of Laotians now who are now saying push. Um, as Sam was teaching them English, supposedly. Um, and also, I think he taught them that New Zealand sniff each other when they say hello. Um, so I think there was general confusion when he, when he tried to do that, but uh, it was, was a lot of, lot of fun, and um, we had a great time out there. It was a real privilege to be able to <clears throat> minister into that setting uh, in Laos, particularly, where... Um, where you know it's it's such a, a difficult setting uh, for for the church, but exciting to see that the church is on the move, and that's what I want to talk about this morning is about is about the church, uh, because I feel like we need to be called afresh to the picture of what the church is, and there's um, in a book by C.S. Lewis, the Screw Tape Letters. You may you may have read it. It's uh, there's this conversation between these demons actually talking about um, what, uh, how to deal with a church. And this little bit I want to uh, read you is Screwtape, a senior devil. He's instructing a junior devil on how to tempt and trap humans. And he says this. He says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy, but fortunately it's quite invisible to these humans. Terrible as an army with banners is actually 
a quote from the Song of Solomon, which we heard from this morning. It's not, not a book that's often quoted, so twice in one meeting is pretty good. Uh, but Song of Solomon 6.10 says this, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, terrible as an army with banners? And that is an amazing picture for us to take hold of, this picture of power and beauty that brings awe and fear to the beholder, the sun that shines so brightly, you can't even look at the sun, the moon that's so beautiful, this army that is so terrible, another word for terrible there is awesome, awesome as an army with banners. And this picture of the church being awesome as an army with banners is something that we really need to take hold of. We need to understand that this is who we are. You know, these, these massive armies in the old days, uh, when they had their banners, that meant they were organized, they were, they, were, they were wealthy, means they were armed because they had these big banners. It wasn't just a rabble uh, of, of people coming across the battlefield, but it was this army with banners flying, and uh, it was so impressive uh, that it was scary to the other army that was coming. The more banners there were, the more impressive it was, it was overpowering. It's hard to really think of what's, what it looks like today. Actually, watching uh, the rugby last night, thinking of the haka. Maybe it's like the whole church doing the haka. Uh, terrible as an army with banners. There's this power, this majesty, this impressiveness that is being communicated. Uh, and that's, I think, what's the, if I understand properly, what the haka communicates. And, uh, and really, as the church, that's who we are. That's what we are called to be. And so I wonder this morning what your picture of the church is. What's your picture of King's Church? How do you see this church? You know, are we just a small group that's, that are meeting in, in a hall somewhere, doing a few bits and pieces and, and, you know, helping a bit here. We're seeing, you know, some people saved. We're seeing a few things happen. Is it just a nice place to be? Is it, you know, people are friendly? All these things are good, but, but what is your bigger picture of the church? What are you really adding yourself into? And if you're a guest here today, I just want to encourage you to uh, be open to letting God open your eyes to what the church is. And even if you don't know who Jesus Christ is this morning, actually, as you're coming into this people, you, you're not coming into uh, a club you could go down the road and join uh, a rugby club or any kind of club, but this place is different. This is the church of the living God. This is the church that's raised up uh, to actually take the world. In Ephesians, um, we read Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, talks about the church being the fullness of Christ to fill the earth. Let me read it to you. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. 
and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And you see, Christ fills the church because he, he has won dominion over everything. He has conquered sin and death. He rules over all. And he fills the church that through the church, the earth might be filled, might be filled. And how do we do that? Well, we fill the earth by filling one person, one community, one neighborhood at a time. That's the church is called to fill the earth. As we are filled with Christ, we're called to fill the earth, one person at a time, one community at a time. And the Old Testament prophets, they rang out with a saying. They said, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen by churches making known the glory of God across the earth. That's what this terrible army does, this awesome army. It brings the glory of God right across the earth. And Again, we can think that the things we are doing are small. Uh, we're in you know, a nation that, that doesn't believe in God. What impact are we really having? But, but actually, we need to look at who we really are, who we call to be, and we need to step out in the strength of that and who God has made us, that we are actually bringing the glory of God to one person, one community, time after time. This is our purpose, to make known the glory of God across the earth. And it was great, actually, in uh, where we, we were to see families being saved in, in Southeast Asia. And we had this, uh, met these amazing um, families, actually. And what had happened was uh, none of them were Christians. And uh, this guy, he was totally crippled. Um, we've only met him since, since he was healed, but he was totally crippled, so I don't know what he looked like, but he couldn't walk at all. And uh, they eventually decided to ask some Christians that they, they knew to pray for him, and they did, and he was completely healed, completely healed. And we met him, he you know, looks absolutely uh, normal. And because of that healing, his family was saved, and two other families were saved. So three families were saved. And then... Uh, because of, of uh, becoming Christians, they were kicked out of their village where they lived um, because of the persecution that's there. So they had to leave with, without anything. So everything they'd known, their families, the rest of their, their extended families rejected them. The village they'd lived all their lives kicked them out. They could go with nothing. <clears throat> and we met them where they're now living in a, another area. They got some kind of temporary houses. And and since they've moved there, which is fairly recently, another five families have been saved. So you, you've got eight families, about 40, 40 or so people. You've got a church. There's the church of the living God bringing the glory of God in that area. And what really struck me again was the sense of families being saved. We can be so individualistic uh, in the way we think with our kind of Western mindset that we, we focus on our individual relationship with God, which is a good thing to focus on, but we also focus on ones 
and, and very individualistic, whereas there it was wonderful to see whole families being saved. The New Testament read of families, households being saved. And I believe we need to be thinking like that as, as we look for uh, salvations, thinking of households to be saved and believing God for that. But also reminding ourselves that we're part of something bigger, and as much as our individual relationship with God is important, actually we joined into something. And so, yes, we need our identity changed. We need to find our identity in the Father, sons and daughters. That, that is absolutely so important, and I know you guys have really grown in that, which is great. But that's just the starting point. That's, that's just the beginning. That's the baseline, really. As we discover our identity, our identity then comes into being the church of the living God, this awesome army that actually is called to make known the glory of God across the earth. <clears throat> I want to read you two definitions of the local church, one from Terry Virgo, who started New Frontiers, one from Bill Hybels. And Terry says this, the definition of the church is, a spirit-filled community of believers who are deeply excited about Jesus and determined not only to love the Lord and one another, but also to reach out to the community and win the lost. Bill Heibel says, The church is a community of people who are radically devoted to Christ, irrevocably committed to each other, and relentlessly dedicated to reaching those outside God's family with the gospel of Christ. The church is an unstoppable force for good in the community and a testimony to God's unfailing grace. They're both great pictures of the church, of what we are called into, this family, this community. But again, this unstoppable force, actually, this army that is to press through. And so I want to look at just a few uh, aspects around that. And I guess for me this is... Um, a passion when I was saved many moons ago, uh, when, I was a, when I was 20 um, in university, and um, became a Christian out of uh, a non-Christian non family. My elder brother, he had become a Christian first, and, uh, and uh, really it was because of him that, um, that I became a Christian. He, he took me along <clears throat> to, well, originally actually it was a kind of Pentecostal church, and I went to it, and I thought everyone was just nuts, really. Um, they, they all kept saying amen, you know, as people were, were praying. And my only frame of reference was the Anglican church, and you only said amen when the prayer was finished. So, you know, I thought, did they just not like what he was praying and wanted to end really quickly? So they were saying amen. It just didn't really make sense. But um, <clears throat> God started to work in me, and then... Uh, he'd, he'd joined a small church plant, um, which is now Jubilee uh, Church in Cape Town. And, and he took me along, and um, I was just overwhelmed, actually, by God's, God's power and also the sense, really, of, of joining something that uh, was on the move. This, this church plant uh, was, I think, about 40 people uh, at, at the time. But uh, so saved really into that and immediate, immediately just feeling uh, there, there was something uh, happening here. This wasn't just a comfortable, uh, comfortable seats. 
Uh, we were meeting in this hall under a bridge. It wasn't the most salubrious place to meet. It wasn't particularly comfortable. Uh, none of that was, was kind of great. The aesthetics were not good. But I felt immediately called into a uh, purpose of reaching uh, a city and a nation. And so as I gave my life uh, in, in that to, to Christ and just felt him fill me, I immediately felt a, a calling really to the church. And um, I thought of going off to Bible study at that time, but, but, um, but didn't. And I was glad I didn't at that time. But later on, I was able to study. But right from the start, really, I've had this passion for the church because the church is God's answer. It is God's answer to the world. It's, it's not just meant to be part of the answer. And, you know, I love what parachurch groups do. They, they've done brilliant things. But actually, they are not the answer. We need the church. We need this army to rise up and have a vision for cities and nations to press through. And it's through the church that we see the kingdom of God breaking through. So my first thing I want to look at is this thing of the kingdom coming through the church. And if you read in the beginning of Acts, we, we see that Jesus, after his resurrection, he met with the disciples over a period of about 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And we know he gave them a great commission to go and make disciples. And throughout the Gospels, we read about uh, Jesus talking about the kingdom coming. But how was that going to happen? How is the kingdom going to come in a way that was sustainable and healthy? And the answer is, we see it in Acts 2, is the first church is planted. The first local church is born in Jerusalem in Acts 2. And from that moment on, we see that history is full of the establishment and multiplication of vibrant local churches that become lampstands in the community, that bring forth the glory of God into the communities they planted in. So Jesus is talking about the kingdom. He's promised the power of the Holy Spirit to come. He's told him to wait. The power of the Spirit comes. And what happens is the local church is established, filled with power, filled with purpose to press into uh, what God has for them to bring the kingdom of God to the world. Not just a one-off flash, but actually this army, this community that is established to bring, if you like, the king kingdom in a sustainable way, in an ongoing way, in a healthy way that brings through the kingdom of God into the world. And we can be relieved that when the church was established there in Acts 2, the first thing uh, they didn't do was establish a 10.30 meeting. That's not the first thing that they did. They didn't establish a meeting. And again, I think it's such a challenge to us. We know that the church is more than a meeting. But do we actually live that out? Do we really live in what that means? And meetings are important, and I want you to come to your meetings. And in Sydney, we want people to you know, come to our Sunday meetings. They're they very, very important. But they aren't the church. The church is so much more than that because it's through the church that the kingdom is established. It's through the church that we take ground from Satan. And that can happen here this morning. And even as, you know, Nat was bringing that and Pete was bringing that, ground is being taken as, as people are being set free 
from things. And as we set free from things that oppress us and challenge us, we're taking ground. But the kingdom comes as we're out there. The kingdom comes in our workplaces, as we uh, work in the government, as we're in arts, as we're in our neighborhoods. That's where the kingdom comes. But it's through the church that the kingdom comes. It's by being this awesome army that we will see disciples made and transformed by the power of God. It's through the church that we will see salvations and healings and signs and wonders. It's through the church that wisdom comes, that holy living comes. This is the domain of, of the church. And the church is us out in the marketplace, Monday to Friday. Wherever you are, that's where the church is. That's where King's Church is. That's where the army is actually taking ground. And we have to, again, keep our sights up to this purpose that God has for us, the bigger picture that He is calling us to. <clears throat> and in Sydney, we've uh, felt God do this with us over the last few years. And um, particularly, I mean, since we've been established, that's been our heart. But just afresh, the last few years, we felt uh, God speak to us out of a prophetic word about being a city-shaping church. And actually, we, we look at it as being shaped by God to shape the city. And it's been so good as God has lifted our vision to be this army, this, this people on the move, a pilgrim people, really, that is pressing forward into taking the city for God. Armies, they marched on cities, they besieged them, they took them. That's how they, they took the victory. And we are called to do that. We're called to take the city. We're called to take the city. Wellington needs to be taken by the church. And it means uh, that on Monday in your workplace, having that in your mind as you have a great conversation with someone, as you just share what you've been doing this weekend, as, as someone's sick and you pray for them. We're taking the city. We call to take cities and nations. And in Sydney, we want to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> we want to be this city-shaping church. We, we, we're a, really a, a small church in the northern part of Sydney with very little influence, if you like, over the whole city. We can look at, at a Hillsong, which has you know, much bigger influence, and they, they're doing great stuff in, in influencing the city. But we have a part to play in that as well. And so our vision is to plant sites all over Sydney um, because it's the church being established. And so as I was talking about what we saw, you know, in Laos, these, these eight families, well, now there's a church established there that's actually going to take ground in that, that area. And as we establish the church, it creates the sustainable ecosystem, if you like, for God's power and kingdom to come through. It's through the church that that's going to happen. This is where the health is. This is where we build relationships, where we build strength. And, and as the church is then going out, we see God's kingdom coming through in a sustainable way. The second thing that's so important is that we are a church that is built on the revelation that Jesus is Lord. And we see that right in the beginning when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am in Matthew 16? And Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And so Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the church is built on this declaration that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We need to be declaring that constantly. That is our war cry. Our war cry is that you are Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is the Lord. It's our war cry that we need to go out with. It's with the power of knowing that Jesus is Lord that we're given the keys of the kingdom of heaven to bind and loose. We're given power uh, through Jesus Christ to actually set people free, to deliver people, and to bind the enemy. This is, we are an army that's not a, a toothless kind of tiger, but actually one that has real power and real strength. And we need to be based on this declaration that Jesus is Lord. And we can ask ourselves the question personally, am I living in a way that declares that Jesus is Lord? Because you are the church. Remember, it's all of us. We are the church. It's not the buildings. It's not meetings. It's, it's us. And so we need to be living lives that declare Jesus is Lord. You can ask yourself, do I conduct my relationships in a way that it's clear Jesus is Lord? Because if Jesus is Lord, that affects the way that I relate to people. It affects the way I, I look at people as I stand on the strength of knowing who I am in Christ and then understanding what He wants to do uh, in His love to reach out to people, to bring them in to His kingdom. Do I work in my job in a way that Jesus is Lord? Am I declaring that in my job? The way that I work uh, is that declaring that Jesus is Lord, that even if I have the worst boss in the world, actually, I'm going to press through into doing as good a job that I can. Am I going to live in a way that is constantly declaring Jesus is Lord? Am I going to handle my finances in a way that declares that Jesus is Lord? This is such a key thing for us, church, that we understand uh, that Jesus is Lord over our finances. It's the biggest temptation for us, I think, in the Western world where we have so much, actually. And, and we can think that we don't have much, but in reality, compared to most of the world, we are wealthy, wealthy, wealthy. We, we have surplus. You, again, you go to Cambodia, Laos, those places, and, and they trust in God for their very needs day after day whereas we actually live mostly with a surplus. Well, are we living with our finances in a way that Jesus is Lord? You can read, I'd invite you to read Luke 12, 22 to 34. I won't read it now, but, but I encourage you to read it. It's talking about that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that is about declaring that Jesus is Lord. He's our treasure we're after Him, and that needs to be applied to our finances. Uh, our finances cannot be what our heart 
is going after. And so it's good to ask yourself that question, where you're at uh, with your finances. Are you really uh, knowing that they submitted to, to Christ? I think we can ask some challenging questions around savings, um, around big retirement funds. Um, I think we can ask questions around that. Is that actually the best thing to be doing? Is that what God's actually calling me to do when I should maybe be investing in the church? This is where God calls us to actually uh, live out this fact that He is Lord, to be part of this army. And our finances need to be uh, looked at in that same way, in the light of being part of this army. Don't worry, Pete hasn't asked me to come and ask you to, to give more money. That's, uh, that's, he hasn't mentioned anything like that. But I, I believe it's so important for us as the church to, to rise up in these areas and be based on the foundation that Jesus is Lord of every part of my life. Thirdly, we see uh, that the church is meant to be the declarer of the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.10 says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And he wants us to be a people that are bringing his manifold wisdom. And I'm probably not going to have time to really go in to unpack that, but... Um, we, it's only the church, really, that can pray and have faith. It's only the church that is given the wisdom of God. Christian governments, even Christian legislation, uh, they can be good, but they'll never have the lasting change in communities that the church can bring. It's the church that, has, uh, that can get to people's sinful hearts. It's the, it's the church that can actually reach uh, people and bring them through out of darkness into light. It's the church that displays uh, the one new man in Christ, or sometimes though I think we say uh, one new English man in Christ. But that's not what we're after, and that's not what the Bible says. It says one new man in Christ. No matter what tribe, nation, tongue you come from, we're one new man in Christ. It's the church that displays that. It's only the church that can actually um, break down rivalries and break down distrust uh, between cultures. It's only the church, actually, as we become one new man in Christ, that breaks that down and that displays God's manifold wisdom um, to the world. Lastly, the church, I believe, is worth living and dying for. And we see, actually, we read in Ephesians, I know we normally read it because we, uh, from the lens of husbands and wives, which is about, but actually Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for the church. Christ died for the church. Will you? Will you? Because he is our example. We need to follow the way that he has lived, where he's, he submitted himself, he lowered himself for us, for the church. When he talks about the joy set before him, I know we can, again, individualize that, and that, that's fine, but actually, I think it's for the church, for his bride that is coming, that he gave himself corporately, for the church he gave himself. And we need to follow his example 
and he died for the church because he loved the church so much. How much do you love the church? And as you serve, you know, as you give hours to serving, as you give finance, you are not crazy. You are imitating Christ. You are imitating Christ as you pour your life into the local church because this army is going to take the world. This army is called to change nations. So can we stand? Actually, before we pray, I want to read you a quote from John Piper. He says this, he says, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, if you don't feel that, it's not because, it's probably not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's probably because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there's no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There's an appetite for God and His church, and it can be awakened. And I believe that wholeheartedly, that God has not created us to nibble on small things. And really what the world offers is small things for us to nibble on. But He's called us actually to drink deeply and know the great. And the church is what we are called to be. So when we close our eyes, let's just come to God. Lord, I pray right now that you would bring in all of us a new appetite, Lord, for the great that your church is, Lord. Won't you lift our eyes afresh to see what the church is meant to be, Lord, as you've established and you've given everything for the church, Lord, this awesome army that is called to take ground, that is called to take cities and nations that one day actually will rule with Christ over all. Lord, that's who we are, and we are, we are that right now as well, Lord. There's that sense of it now, and your kingdom comes through us now. Lift our eyes afresh, Lord, that we might give our lives to your purpose, to your church, Lord. Won't you even now just call hearts, Lord? I just pray, come Holy Spirit, come fan embers into flames. Lord, where it's been, where the things of life have just overwhelmed, Lord, I pray, let passion for your church just, just well up, Lord. Let it come and well up within us, Lord, as we capture your vision, as we capture your heart to see your church established on the earth, as we receive a fresh